Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A sobering report on Hamilton's homeless. Hamilton's tax hike isn't as big as first thought. Many healthcare professionals are calling for healthcare for all. Happy 40th to Crime Stoppers of Hamilton. Want to join the Argyles and the Bulldogs charge into the playoffs? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. A new report is out. It is the latest uh, biannual update on life expectancy among Hamilton's homeless, and it shows that 22 people died between June and November of 2022, largely due to drug abuse. Jesse Stearns is a social worker and a researcher and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Jesse, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm, I'm well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. These uh, results are really hard to hear, but it's it's extremely important for everyone to learn what is happening in our community. Give us a sense of the stats that you uncovered. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think what this this is our third report uh, and we, we do these reportings about every well for six month periods and and then this uh, third report it continues to show that the average age of death as you mentioned for people experiencing homelessness is less than the city's average right um the average uh time of uh the average age at time of death on this report is 43 um cumulatively since uh june of 2021 it's i believe 41 um, and compared to the life expectancy for uh, the average Hamiltonian, which is 81, that's quite staggering. I would say, uh, although you mentioned overdose, like overwhelmingly the biggest killers uh, amongst these deaths uh, were overdose, also uh, were what we are calling, I guess, death caused by violence or traumatic injury. So things like fire, suicide, homicide, and a traumatic injury, as I mentioned. So uh, I would say the overdose deaths were were um, about 42%. And and these other ones that we're describing are about 36%. So, you know, overall, I would say, since we began this project, that's, that's one in every, that's like one person in every 10 days uh, that is dying in our community. And, and again, I'll point back to the dramatic difference in age at time of death of those experiencing homelessness in the general population. I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that homelessness in, in and of itself, in and of itself, sorry, is, um, it, it, it kills. Yeah. And that average life expectancy is about half of the average mm-hmm. resident in this city. That's scary. It is. It is. I mean, you know, there's some things, there's, there's some things to remember here when you look at this, like that. And, and that don't get often talked about. Like these are real people. They're not just people somewhere else. They're not removed from our lives. These are our family, uh, like our fellow community members. You know, and and this clearer picture of what people are experiencing. These are people that we work with. People on our team and other workers and doctors and uh, that are seeing this and often aren't able to say much about it. But these folks, the ones that have died and other folks that are that are living this way, they've been talking about this experience for a long time, you know, and um, it's it's important to listen and learn from them. We have a couple more minutes with Jesse Stern, social worker and researcher at McMaster University, played a big part in developing the latest biannual update on life expectancy among Hamilton's homeless. It shows that 22 people died between June and November of 2022. Is is there hope? I mean, th- these individuals are going from, you know, a, a tent encampment maybe to a homeless shelter. Perhaps they're going to a hospital because something happened to them. Do they have hope to get out of that circle? Well, I mean, I don't think 
That's a great question because I think for one, when you mention it as a circle, it seems as though it's, it's a problem just specific to this population, right? This is a community problem. This is something that's been created over time through uh, deprivation, through a lack of access to needed resources that, that are, um, needed for equity and inclusion for good health outcomes, you know, Obtaining and providing permanent affordable housing with full access to tenant legal protections is critically important. I know we look at it like these are the, we, these are the, the things we're pointing out and this is what it is about this community, but, but this is about all of us, right? That this is not just about overdoses. It's, there's quite a, there's a bigger picture here, you know? Is there anything in the statistics that tell you that, it, listen, if we change this, it would make a huge difference? I mean, what I just said, right? I think overall, when you look at this, you know, housing is a basic human need. Housing is a matter of community inclusion. Housing ensures equitable health and safety for members of our community. It's a proven harm reduction and life-saving resource, right? So, I mean, that's immediately apparent to me. You know, I think, I think we need to support people to stay connected to each other. People need to be housed. We need to make supports easier to access by providing the permanent place for people to belong. And there's a need for like local, for all levels of government here to immediately provide um, the housing for those uh, that are experiencing this. They're dying. People are dying. We certainly right? have. Yeah, absolutely. We certainly have a lot of heavy lifting to do. And it's reports like this that I think, you know, continues to get the ball moving. But again, there's lots of stuff that we still have to accomplish. Uh, Jesse, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate being able to speak on this. Jesse Stern, social worker, researcher at McMaster University. Um, of the 22 individuals who died between June and November of 2022, all of them were men. Twelve of them were living outside. Eight were in a shelter. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is city budget time, or it was city budget time for the last number of months, councillors, let's not forget this is a new council, councillors deliberating, debating, crunching the numbers, uh, sweating at times, I'm sure, looking at the overall uh, end of the day tax increase that was projected. Lots of consternation, lots of long nights, I am sure. It's also the focus of our poll question of the day today on Twitter at AM900CHML. Hamilton Council approving a $262 property tax increase for the average residential household, depending on where you live and how valuable your home is. Your property taxes are going to be much different if you're in the lower city or Ancaster, Dundas, Stony Creek, whatever the case is. The average is $262. That's about $22 a month. So the question we're asking you is how much pain is that going to cause you? Three options for you. A lot of pain. A little bit of pain, or not much at all. At AM900CHML on Twitter, you can send me a text on this, 905-645-3221, or email rick at 900chml.com. Got a few dozen votes in. Right now, 53% are saying this is going to cause me a lot of pain. You know, grocery prices are up. Inflation is where it is. You know, maybe they're in a mortgage payment that has increased. And now this. 21% say a little pain, and 26% say not much at all. Got a text in, and I'm not sure who this is from, but the listener says this tax is a disgrace. We will create more homeless with increases like this. City council is the problem in this city. 
I'm a senior on a fixed income. My OAS is going to property tax. And yeah, there's there's a number of people in that boat. And they're staring at this tax increase and thinking, and I've already heard from some counselors. We had Counselor J.P. Danko on the show not too long ago, and he was on with Scott Radley last night, saying that, they, you know, this, this year is bad. Wait till next year. Could potentially be even worse. Now, there is a smidge, a smidge of good news for the 2023 budget, because all along we were being told, listen, this budget increase is probably going to be, this tax increase is probably going to be 6.7%. Gulp. The good news is, and again, this is just a smidge, is that the increase is 5.85%. So about 1% lower than expected. And that came in after a last minute amendment, a Hail Mary, if you will, from Mayor Andrea Horvath. She huddled up with some of the staff to say, hey, we got to find some cost saves here. Like, can we do anything? And apparently they found some stuff to trim back, which is great news. But there is still, as I mentioned before, a lot of consternation around the Hamilton Council table. Here is, uh, we'll start with Brad Clark, Stony Creek Councilor, who was one of the ones who voted against the budget. I think the council did their best to get where they are. But I think we need to start to balance that against the ability to pay in our community. And that in lies the issue, because there is there's going to be a tax increase, we know, not only this year, but in the next following years. The question that this council has to answer, and staff plays a big part in this as well, is how much more can we ask the taxpayer to pay. And certainly the provincial government has a role to play in this because it has downloaded, and not just over the last couple of years, but for many years, it has downloaded billions upon billions of dollars to municipalities. Hamilton is no different. And so it'll be interesting to see the number of the ratio that we are able to pay and how close we are to that maximum number. For many, they're at that number, or that number has already been exceeded. And that's why you're seeing, well, people like the, the individual that texted saying this, this property tax hike is going to be paid off by my OAS. This is a senior on fixed income. You're, you're probably in the same situation if you're listening right now, thinking, I have to dedicate all these extra funds to this increase. And, oh, yeah, there's inflation I've got to take of over here. Got to pay off this credit card bill, which is being hammered by this high inflationary rate. I still got to eat and go to the grocery store. I'm paying X amount of dollars for that as well. Uh, Ward 8 Councilor John Paul Danko voted in favor of the budget. And you'll recall when we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago that he was kind of, you know, on the teeter-totter. Do I, do I approve this? Do I, do I vote against it? Where do I stand? Here's what he had to say. Certainly much better than we were when we started. And I remain optimistic that this council... Uh, mainly aligns on our big picture goals and vision for the city. And he's right there as well. I mean, there is, when you're formulating a budget, whether you're doing it at home, you're, you're a business, you're a municipality, you're a federal government, whatever the case is, you are looking years down the road and it's not looking very good. Tom Jackson, councillor in Ward 6, also another councillor who voted against the budget saying, He's worried that this is going to set a new precedent. I'm just worried that this 5.8 may just be exactly the average, if not possibly increase, over the next three years. 
So imagine that each and every year we're going to start with, you know, 5%, 6%, maybe even more than that, and then try to whittle it down. Is that even achievable? Is that feasible? Ancaster Councillor Craig Kassar had this to say. I believe we're making decisions that are wise investments to prevent things from getting worse. If you do not spend money in this budget the way we have proposed, I think things will get a lot more expensive in the future. And he was quite confident that they're going in the right direction. One of the 10 councillors who voted in favor of it. We also heard from Mayor Andrea Horvath, who, again, at the last minute said, hey, we, we've saved a bunch of money here, about $9 million. I know that, uh, that folks want to move forward in a way that supports our city. And I know that people want to move forward in a way that actually um, is, is thoughtful about the costs uh, that... Um, that people are facing. All right. So again, that smidge of good news. Instead of 6.7%, it's 5.85, about $262 for the average homeowner, about 22 bucks a month. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Speaking of pain, those who are uninsured when it comes to health care will be realizing that as of, well, tomorrow. The Healthcare for All Coalition is holding a rally for those individuals at uh, Queen's Park today. They're calling on the province to stop the cuts to health care for those who are uninsured. Now, you will recall that three years ago, basically the start of the pandemic, the Ford government expanded access to health care uh, for uninsured people across this province. But as of tomorrow, that is going to end. Dr. Claudette Holloway is the president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Holloway, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick, and thanks for the opportunity today. What message do you plan to send to the provincial government later on today? Well, I'll be joining uh, others down at Queen's Park to ask the Premier, to plead with the Premier to stop this decision, this devastating decision that will cancel health care for the uninsured. Um, we see that he made that plan 2020, and to end it now, uh, health care needs do not end, they continue. And for those who are uninsured, those who are uh, waiting for uh, their OHIT card to be processed, uh, the homeless, um, you know, their health care needs do not end, they continue. And the earlier they can get the care, the better. So when you stop these cuts, um, they're going to be uh, hesitant to try and, and, and go and get health care. So they're going to end up in our emergency departments where people who are pregnant, um, people who have chronic diseases who are seeking help, they're going to leave it to the last minute. And this is going to be uh, an extra burden, and it may even cost them their life. So we're asking the Premier to step back from this decision. Everyone deserves help. We ask the Premier to protect health for all in Ontario, including the uninsured. Do we know how many people are affected by this? I don't have exact numbers for you that I can get, but this is, we've had clinics that are operating, we've seen physicians who have been pleading the case, so we know that there are a large number of people who access these clinics, because Canada has opened their doors, Ontario has opened their doors for those who are coming in um, from places where they need refuge. Um, we know that the homeless those numbers are increasing. Um, so we know that this is a significant uh, number of people. When we finally hear it, we're going to be alarmed. And if we can get health care to them 
sooner rather than later, then the better for our healthcare system. We're chatting with Registered Nurses Association of Ontario President Dr. Claudette Holloway here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The Healthcare for All Coalition holding a rally at Queen's Park today at noon, calling on the Ford government to stop the cuts to healthcare for uninsured people. You mentioned that we're probably going to see more and more people go to hospital because, well, that's usually where they end up. The other part of this equation, too, is they realize and they know they don't have healthcare insurance they're going to delay and put off seeking the care of a healthcare professional, and that is only going to make matters worse. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is what, you know, we need to get ahead of the situation um, and so that they can have access to healthcare when they need it. And we know that um, things can escalate very quickly um, if you've got a chronic health you know, condition, if you've got something that's developing. Um, you need to have some assessment. Uh, from a nurse, from a nurse practitioner, from a physician, so that you can get care ahead of the system, uh, ahead of the, the the condition getting worse. So uh, we can only say that we need to have this decision uh, changed. We need to provide health care for all. Everyone deserves health care whether they're insured or uninsured. The Premier and his finance minister and the health minister are all in Hamilton today to make an announcement. I'm not sure what they're going to announce, but they did announce last week the Ontario budget, or at least you know revealed it to the public, and it showed that it, we are expected to run a $1.3 billion deficit. However, next year... Uh, we expect to record a surplus of about $200 million and a $4.4 billion surplus the following fiscal year. So, you know, I think we can say we're in pretty good financial shape in the province. So the question is, you know, is the government doing this to save money and, and how much money is going to be saved here? Well, that's a good question, uh, Rick. And we don't need to um, put people's lives on the line. Um, we need to be very clear that everyone deserves health care uh, and we need to spend effectively. Uh, we've seen that the health care system is, is continuing to, to crumble. Um, we've asked over, the, over time, us and other public sector health workers, we've asked for significant investments, a long-term recruitment and retention strategy, uh, putting, putting money where we can have the quality of care that Ontarians deserve and nurses are more than willing uh, and, and experienced and educated to provide it. So we need to have um, the Premier, the, the Health Minister really understand that uh, this is not a game where we can, you know, start a service and then suddenly stop it. Healthcare needs do not end, uh, particularly just come through a pandemic. Um, we know we got an aging population. We've opened the doors to new Ontarians that are coming here. Uh, we've got the homeless population which we're seeing need, have increased needs, uh, people on ODSP who need health care needs. So we, are, this is a situation where the government can actually do something to invest and show that they're investing in health care of Ontarians and invest in the nursing profession and the supports that other health care sector needs to, uh, you know, deliver excellent health care. We're falling behind. We're falling behind in every way where we've got the lowest number of uh, nurses per capita of, of uh, residents in, in Ontario, and we need to really increase the quality. Nurses, are they care. They're doing the best they can. They've put themselves on the line. They've, they've seen how they've been disrespected by Bill 124 with our premier still chasing to appeal that. We're asking him to let 
you know, stop that kind of an approach. Let's sit down. We've provided um, information and reports on how nurses can build careers here so that we can strengthen the healthcare system. So RNAO speaks out for, you know, nursing. We speak out for healthcare for all. We need to protect our not-for-profit publicly funded healthcare system. Well said. Dr. Holloway, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Good luck at Queen's Park today. Thanks so much, Rick. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Claudette Holloway, President of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Crime Stoppers is celebrating its 40th year in Canada. Trevor McKenna is the coordinator of Crime Stoppers of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Trevor, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Rick. How are you? I'm good. I, I, I've heard that Hamilton was the first Crime Stoppers, uh, I guess, location in, in Canada. Is that true? Well, it's uh, partially true. So we're the first uh, location in Ontario. So uh, if I can give you a little bit of history. So it started in New Mexico in 1976. Uh, there was a detective, Greg McAleese, was working on a murder case. And he came up with a, basically, he hit a dead end with the investigation. And he knew somebody out there knew something about it but he didn't know how he could convince the public to actually come forward and say something. So he needed to innovate and encourage the public to do something. So he kind of racked his brain and he got approval from his commanders to do a video reenactment of the crime. So he did it, he filmed it. And uh, at the end of the video, he guaranteed whoever came forward would have complete anonymity. So uh, their name, identity, um, relation to the victim or, or the suspect would never ever be uh, spoken about. And he also offered a cash reward. So uh, he filmed it, aired it, and within 72 hours of airing on TV, two men were arrested for the murder <laughs> and uh, as a result of information that had come in from it. And uh, I guess somebody in the community had noticed a getaway car after a loud bang. And they said that that person lives nearby. So it turns out the suspects were actually one of the neighbors nearby. And Greg was able to uh, arrest him. And he actually paid out of his own pocket the uh, the very first cash reward ever. So I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> wow. Yep. So uh, fast forward to 1982. So our Hamilton Police Chief uh, Torrance was attending a police, sorry, a uh, Crime Stoppers conference in the United States and decided to bring it back to Hamilton. So he did. And in 1982, he assigned uh, Jim Willis, Detective Jim Willis, as the first Crime Stoppers coordinator. So since then, it's been operated by a board of directors uh, made up completely of community uh, members. That is pretty cool. The The original uh, video from uh, the uh, police officer in New Mexico, ha- have you seen it? And, and do you know how much money was paid out? Uh, I don't know how much was, was paid out personally, but uh, yeah, I've seen it. And it's, it's really interesting. Actually, if you go on our uh, YouTube website, we have all the videos there. Uh, the previous coordinator did a really cool video where um, Detective Jim Willis um, from Hamilton stood on the escarpment and filmed his first video. And uh, the previous coordinator did one where it kind of like a, it pays homage to it. He's standing in the exact same spot with the exact same scenery. So it was really cool. Wow, awesome. Talk about the importance of Crime Stoppers in our community. Yeah, so it's super important. Um, for whatever reason, you know, crime happens every single day. Uh, Rick, if I can use you as, as an example just for a minute. Um People hear it or see it or, or know what's going to happen before it actually does happen. So, Rick, like if you were to know something or see something, uh, you may not wish to call the police for whatever reason, various reasons. Everybody has their own intentions. So you could, that's where Crime Stoppers comes in. You can call us at 1-800-222-TIPS or submit a, an online report at CrimeStoppersHamilton.com. Uh, we'll guide you through the process. So we'll make it super easy. 
We'll never talk about your name, your address, your relationship to the uh, suspect or victims or even your neighborhood. And none of that matters. All that matters is the tip. So it remains completely anonymous. During the process, once you're done everything, we'll provide you with a tip ID and that's personal to you only. We don't hold on to those. So if you lose it, it's gone forever. So that's your only connection to crime stoppers after that. Um, it's basically a long string of numbers and letters. So even if, you know, somebody finds it in your wallet, nobody's going to know what it is. At a later date, after if there's been an arrest or, or whatnot, you can contact us with that tip ID only, and we can tell you whether or not your tip was uh, successful. So um, a successful tip would either be uh, police have made an arrest. That's it. It doesn't need to go to court and the person needs to be found guilty. It's police have made an arrest and that's all that matters. Uh, so you'll be entitled to a reward. And uh, I can't speak too much on how we give out our rewards just because it's uh, kind of like a secret process. But... Uh, I can assure you that, again, even when you pick up a reward, there's nobody asks for your name, your address, nothing. It's completely anonymous. Hmm. Um, Trevor McKenna is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He's the coordinator of Crime Stoppers of Hamilton, celebrating their 40th anniversary here in Canada. Do you receive any or many bogus calls? We know that swatting has been a thing, and maybe <laughs> criminals might call into Crime Stoppers to you know, get them off or get you off their trail. Does that happen? It does. Unfortunately, it does. Um, it's the nature of the beast. Um, people call us all the time and, and we still process tips. Like sometimes, you know, somebody may have a bogus tip, but there might be some piece of truth in that. So we'll process it. We'll send it where it needs to go. If it uh, is in information only, then we'll just mark it as such and we can reopen it at a later date if we need to. But um, yeah, it happens. Well, let's uh, hopefully uh, uh, you guys, uh, as you said, you know, grab a little nugget or two and helps you uh, solve uh, a case. Uh, also, you have the Chiefs Gala coming up in a couple of weeks. Does does fundraising from that event help Crime Stoppers? Yeah, so we're basically Crime Stoppers is a charity organization. Like we rely solely on funds for our uh, donations, sponsorships, fundraising, just to uh, run the program and pay our tipsters. That's where the money for rewards comes from. And uh, just for uh, swag, when we go to uh, events, things that we can hand out to kind of create awareness, it all comes from fundraising. So it's extremely important. So uh, we uh, have the Chiefs Gala coming up on Thursday, April 13th. It's at Leona's, Leona Station. There's still time to reserve seats and offer a donation or a sponsorship. And uh, just uh, for local businesses out there, if you're looking to advertise or sponsor, um, this is a great event. There's lots of eyes that are going to be there. And you're supporting a, a, a local um, organization that... It, we take care of everyone as best we can. So it's extremely important. Um, Rick, one thing I want to mention too, uh, we also, we hand out rewards, uh, sorry, uh, awards every year. And uh, just a little tie into CHML. Bill Stirrup was a, uh, a well-known reporter, uh, an ex-colleague of yours. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 2000, Crime Stoppers uh, began handing out an award to recognize uh, outstanding contributions to our program by local media personnel. And, um, Basically, Crime Stoppers, we understand that it, we wouldn't be possible if we didn't have a partnership between the police, the community, and the media. So this award goes to uh, outstanding personnel that have helped us along the way. And uh, we've named it the Bill Stirrup Award. So that's been going on since 2000. So I thought that was kind of cool to, to mention on your program. That is an awesome legacy to Bill. He was uh, in and around the uh, police station uh, pretty much every day. And that is a great legacy to him. Trevor, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for having me. Trevor McKenna, coordinator of Crime Stoppers of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Since 1903, 
The Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, the famous Canadian Army Reserve Infantry Battalion, has made its home in the Major John Weir Foot VC Armories. And they are celebrating a special day this weekend. The Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders hosting a recruiting exhibition and tattoo on Saturday at the James Street Armory. And joining us now to talk about it is Warrant Officer Scott Balanson, the event organizer and pipe major. Warrant Officer Balanson, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. Uh, thank you very much for welcoming to me to Good Morning Hamilton. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. What can we expect to uh, see and experience at this weekend's uh, Hamilton Garrison Military Tattoo? Yeah, thank you. Uh, the event is uh, primarily focused on recruiting for all the um, Army Reserve units in the Garrison in Hamilton, and it's quite a, a wide assortment. Uh, the event uh, has a representation from the Royal Canadian Navy, HMCS Star, uh, the uh, Royal uh, Canadian Artillery, uh, 11th Field Battery, the 31 Signals Squadron, the 31 Brigade Medical Company, the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry, another famous infantry uh, unit from the Hamilton area, and uh, the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders of Canada, as you mentioned, as well as we're joined by our colleagues from the Royal Highland Fusiliers of Canada. The uh, military musical tattoo is one aspect, as I mentioned, of this uh, recruiting exhibition, which will feature all sorts of physical assets from the very various units that I mentioned displayed on the armory's floor at the uh, John Weirfoot Armories sometimes just shortened down to JFA. And the event is uh, referred to, because the Army loves acronyms, as H Great, Hamilton Garrison Recruiting Exhibition and Tattoo. Uh, it's free to the public. Our, we have two focuses. One is trying to get recruiting age people, which is just about anybody in Canada uh, that's interested in joining the Army Reserves to come see the, the uh, equipment from the various units and speak to the recruiters which will also include the recruiters from the Canadian Forces Recruiting Center. Uh, and then uh, there will be the military tattoo. It starts at one o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, the 1st of April. Uh, it is free, as mentioned. And uh, then the military tattoo portion takes place from 3 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. And the entire event wraps up at 5 p.m. How many people are you expecting to come and see what's going on at the Armory? It's uh, quite, a, quite a good question there, Rick. Thank you. Uh, we've had over 7,000 hits on the various social media platforms, and uh, it's hard to gauge with the conventional media when you do your uh, advertising and your media release. Uh, the Armories, for some of you that have been there and those that haven't, uh, it is uh, reputed to be the largest Armories in Canada. It's an extremely large building, and Prior to Cops Coliseum, many major events were hosted there. So we have space for many, many, many hundreds of people in there. Is this an annual thing? Uh, great question. Thank you. Uh, it is our plan to make this an annual event. Uh, there is a big focus, like any other uh, large organization and even smaller organizations in Canada, COVID had an impact on uh, the recruiting process and uh, changed how we did business. And uh, we're always in a recruiting and training phase in the uh, Canadian Armed Forces Reserve, as uh, we're called upon very regularly to support uh, the regular army in its uh, many missions and tasks, whether they're, uh, you know, domestic uh, uh, things such as supporting uh, with, uh, floods or firefighting and or uh, some of the peacekeeping missions and other uh, 
missions that the Canadian uh, government has directed us to uh, support. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Warrant Officer Scott Valenson, a pipe major and event organizer of this weekend's recruiting exhibition and tattoo. Uh, it happens on Saturday at the Major John Weir Foot Armories here in Hamilton. Uh, this obviously is a, a, you know, a recruiting drive. What qualities or qualifications are you looking for in an individual? Yeah, thanks for asking that, Rick. That's a great question. We need uh, young Canadians. Uh, typically, but uh, there is no age restriction uh, in terms of um, at the top end, but the, you do have to be 17 uh, as is the typical age that a person applies uh, physically fit. And uh, the uh, army is um, does provides almost all the training as well as uh, uniforms and uh, transportation for major things. There's also uh, many other benefits to being in the Canadian Armed Forces. You get developed uh, leadership skills, uh, and there is, uh, as I said, opportunities to uh, travel nationally or internationally, depending uh, on your trade within the Armed Forces and uh, the level of experience you gain. Do the Argyles need more recruits? Is there a shortage? Uh, you know, how, how many do you usually get in a year? Yeah, that's, a, uh, again, another great question. Uh, every one of the regiments and uh, units that I mentioned there are constantly in a recruiting phase for two reasons, uh, like any organizations. Uh, people, when they're joining, obviously, uh, many of the younger people are transitioning from high school to college or university, and they may go off to other communities within Canada and continue their reserve service. Uh, some choose to go into the regular uh, Canadian Armed Forces, and others uh, uh, come towards the end of their career transition. So we're constantly uh, uh, transition to retirement, I should say. So we're constantly hiring, not just to meet attrition, but to meet the needs as uh, set out by the Canadian Armed Forces. And most of the units uh, probably bring in uh, 12 to, to 20 recruits a year. And the average strength for many of the uh, units, I'm sorry about that, my dog's just barking in the background. <laughs> uh, many of the units... Um, uh, authorized strength is around 200 members, and, and so we need to have uh, um, numbers of recruits every year. Uh, last one for you, we got about a minute. What are the most common questions you get from potential recruits? The, uh, with the variety of units that I listed there, there's such a wide range of trades. So uh, the people in the Royal Canadian Navy train for uh, various tasks that would be associated with the uh, maritime uh, trades in the Canadian uh, Navy. The signals, uh, you know, do all our communications as well as encryption and cyber um, skill sets. The artillery, uh, you know, very traditional combat arms to support uh, uh, those types of activities in the Army. Uh, the field ambulance are all trained medics and uh, supporting the medical requirements and the Argyles and the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry and Highland Fusiliers are infantry regiments, which again are combat arms trades. So the questions that we normally get uh, when a young person comes with such a variety of opportunities available to them, it's kind of a back and forth question where you ask them what their interests are, and then you try and find a, a unit or a trade fits their interests. The Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders recruiting exhibition and tattoo it comes at us this Saturday at the James Street Armory. Looking forward to seeing it. You can get more info on the Argyles online at argyles.ca. Warrant Officer Balanson, appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for joining us and good luck on Saturday.
Rick, my privilege. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You too. That is Warren Officer Scott Balance and Pipe Major and event organizer of the recruiting exhibition and tattoo this coming Saturday. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tonight is the night. It is the Hamilton Bulldogs and the Barry Colts. They're hooking up at Sadlin Arena in Barry in game number one of their first ever playoff series in the Ontario Hockey League as they launch into round one of the OHL playoffs. Here to give us a preview is the Bulldogs play-by-play announcer, Reed Duthie. Reed, welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How are you? Great, Rick. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be on with you again. This is the first ever playoff meeting between these two teams. That always brings some added excitement, but it features two teams that throughout the regular season played some pretty good back-and-forth hockey. Both teams won two games. Uh, Barry scored two more goals in Hamilton. This seems to be an evenly matched matchup. Yeah, it really does, Rick. And I, I think it comes down to the excitement that the Barry Colts bring with their their top unit. I mean, Evan Veerling, Ethan Cardwell, two overagers that can strike with big numbers. And of course, everybody knows about Brant Clark. And then you look to the other side and the Bulldogs with Nick Lardis, Sahil Panwar, Patrick Thomas, that electric first line. And then guys like Cole Brown and Florian Jacki and Adrian Rabello, who really came on offensively later on in the season. So there's a lot of back and forth pieces in this series. And then you get into the goaltending matchup. It's Anson Thornton and Ben West for the Colts. It's Tristan Malbuff and Mateo Drollback for the Bulldogs. Uh, both teams have two goalies that they can turn to if they need to. I really like how this series matches up, and, and I think we're in for some really good hockey. They played each other four times in the regular season. What did Hamilton learn about Barry and vice versa? What did the Colts learn about the Dogs? Well, for the Colts, for the second half of the season, because it's really the last two matchups that will mean the most, after the trade deadline when everybody was uh, finished with all the moves, and the Colts know that the top line of Panwar, Lardis, and Thomas is the going concern. They're going to have to have their top shutdown line on that line, and then they'll have to try to survive what will be an onslaught of heavy four-check pressure from the likes of Shirk and Brown and Jack Eye and Rebello. Those guys will bring a lot of energy to the table. So the Colts will, will have to move the puck quickly and efficiently out of their own zone to avoid having the Bulldogs get on top of them. The Bulldogs created a lot of turnovers in the last game they played at Sadlin Arena, the 7-5 victory. For the Bulldogs, it's simple. You have to contain Brant Clark. And I say contain because you can't shut him down. There's just no way. He's too good. He's going to make an impact. It's containing that impact. It's stopping him from owning the game and owning the series. If you can do that and force the Colts into a situation where they need guys like Cardwell, Veerling, McDonald, Savard to try to beat you, I think you roll the dice in that situation and, and go man up with those guys. But you've got to contain Brant Clark. He is the going concern. Previewing tonight's uh, series opening game between the Hamilton Bulldogs and the Barry Colts with Reed Duffy, play-by-play announcer with the Bulldogs, here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Barry's coming in hot. They've won eight of their last ten. Can they continue that momentum in the playoffs, or is it just a different kind of scenario? Well, we're going to find that out, Rick. And We saw the Bulldogs do it last year. Came in hot throughout the end of the regular season. An incredible team that went on to win... 12 straight on their way to the OHL final and, and the OHL championship. The Colts have the personnel to be able to continue it on and they're feeling it. But again, with the Bulldogs, the way that they played the Colts during the regular season, 
they were a tough matchup for Barry. And I, I think that although the Colts come into the, the series third, they're looking at this matchup, and, and this is one of the teams that maybe they didn't want to see all that much from what the Bulldogs were able to do against them in the regular season, especially that last game in Barry that the two teams played on March the 2nd. So I think Barry could continue it, but if you're the Bulldogs, you don't let that get in the way. I know they came in on a slide, but they were playing at times, Rick, with 15 skaters in the last five games of the season for the Bulldogs. Um, before that, they had won 9 of 11 when they had their full roster in. So if you're looking at a healthy roster versus a healthy roster, this is probably the most interesting series in the Eastern Conference. I would agree with that. Um, we got about 40 seconds. The move to Brantford, we all know, is going to come after this season. Is that at all a conversation piece or even a motivator for this team? I, I think it, it, it's a motivator to put on a show in front of the Hamilton fans uh, for you know a, a bit of a, a going away for a couple of seasons. I think they really want to, when the games turn back for three and four here in Hamilton on Sunday and Tuesday, they want to put on a show and, and make sure everybody remembers that, hey, we're still here. We're the Bulldogs. You're going to want us to come back. You're going to want this excitement back at First Ontario Centre. So I definitely think there is is a motivator to this, Rick. Um, I, I think, though, that for the Bulldogs being the sixth seed, they've got to take this one game at a time. So I think that'll be more of a focus and more of a motivator once we get towards Sunday and Tuesday. Game one tonight's game three will be held in Hamilton as playoff hockey returns to First Ontario Centre. It is going to be a fun series. I know that. Reed, thanks for the time today. Always a pleasure, Rick. Thanks for having me. Uh, for tickets, hey, go online, hamiltonbulldogs.com. You can get them at Ticketmaster as well or right at the box office. Reed Duthie, play-by-play announcer with the Hamilton Bulldogs. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, at 8.20, we're going to chat with Bulldogs general manager Matt Turek on the show as we recap Game 1 and look ahead to Game 2 on Saturday. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.